I was back home at my parents' house in Michigan one Thanksgiving, hanging out in my younger brother's room, when I saw that he had on his shelf a copy of Carl Sagan's book, Pale Blue Dot. I remembered listening to an episode of the show Radio Lab years before, in which Sagan's widow, Andrian, talked about how the two of them fell in love as they worked to gather sounds and images for a record made out of 24 karat gold. This golden record was to be mounted on the sides of the Voyager's 1 and 2 spacecraft, and these spacecraft, after they completed their mission to study the outer planets, were going to keep going out beyond our solar system, into the far reaches of space. That way, if one day intelligent beings in other galaxies should happen upon the record, they would have a sense of what life on Earth was like. It was this cosmic message in a bottle, or a kind of interstellar love letter saying, Hi. Hello. This is us. That night, over Thanksgiving, I went to bed, and when I woke up I had this idea for a story. It was almost like the remnants of a dream, this idea for a story about a boy and his dog trying to launch his own golden iPod into space. I started working on it almost immediately, and pretty quickly I decided to tell the story on the device itself as transcriptions of the recordings my main character, Alex, was making on his iPod. So you could say that, very literally, Alex is a podcaster, and that even from the very beginning, See You in the Cosmos was, in a way, born out of audio. Why am I telling you this? It's because this week on See You on the Bookshelf, if you haven't guessed from the title by now, we're talking about the production of the audiobook. We're not even doing a recap. We're just going to jump right in. I really think our job is to make good decisions for our authors, with our authors, to bring their books into another format in a way that they'll be proud of. And that, that is Karen Jakonski. I'm Karen Jakonski, and I'm a producer at Penguin Random House Audio and Listening Library, which is the children's audio imprint here. I went to graduate school for journalism right after college, and then I just didn't want to do that. And I worked in a lawyer's office, and then I worked for a TV commercial producer, and I did some temping, and then I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I really had no clue. And then my friend worked in the children's division at Random House, and she sent me the job opening for publicity, and I got that. And I mean, I knew the company was a great place to work, and everyone I worked with was just wonderful. But I had always loved to hear stories told out loud, and I was, you know, a fiction writer in college. So I just liked going to live events and readings and Audiobooks were popular, but definitely gaining um, in popularity. People were really not asking if it was like books for the blind anymore. So huh. I knew it was an exciting format. Um, and then the job opened and, and I thought, oh, this would draw on all my interests and my skills. And, and I was lucky enough to get it. So I learned how to produce audiobooks at Random House Audio um, from 2000 to 2003. And then I went freelance in order to also work for an oral history project called StoryCorps. 
And if you're an avid podcast listener, you might be familiar with StoryCorps. They've appeared on numerous NPR shows like This American Life. They started with these mobile recording booths in places like New York's Grand Central Station with the idea of helping everyday Americans record and preserve the stories of their lives. I remember I was sitting in my office at Brandon House and my friend emailed me a little blurb from the New York Times saying, this sounds so up your alley. And it was about how StoryCorps was launching. And I was like, oh my gosh, that that is, I would love that. And I ended up interviewing with them and I was like, I really need to do this because it's so important to capture stories like these. And they were like, we really want to hire you, but you have a full-time job. So I'm like, I'll quit. (laughs) and I'll go freelance and I'll work with you. And I was able to do that. I traveled in the mobile booth along the West Coast for a few months in 2005. And then in 2010, I took a job at HarperCollins and I was the executive producer there for um, almost four years. And then I came back to Random House, which was then Penguin Random House. And I've been here since then. Audiobook producers are sort of these wranglers, or maybe that's not our full enough of a term, but producers are the ones that bring all the necessary people together and are involved in overseeing the process and schedule, basically the entire program. Over the years, I definitely have realized what I enjoy most about the job. I like the producing part. I like managing programs. I like making the casting decisions and working with authors and collaborating with them and then hiring the people who will be in the studio directing and, and, you know, using their talents to help the actor, you know, really bring it into the audio realm in the best possible way. Karen's first contact with the manuscript of See You in the Cosmos was through my editor at Dial, Jess Garrison. I had been in touch with Jess because I worked on another one of her books that won the Odyssey last year. That's a yearly award for the best children's or young adult audiobook. And I met her in Orlando in June. And we were chatting at the award ceremony and she was telling me about your book. So I kind of kept an eye out for it. Because, you know, I think she has great taste and she was really talking enthusiastically about it. Our editorial team for Listening Library presented See You in the Cosmos at a launch for um, spring 2017. It must have been back in, I feel like maybe August or September Mm. of last year. And um, the way we divvy up titles among our producing team, because there are about 12 of us, is um, we set aside a time and we're placed in an order and we pick titles in that order. But prior to that, we're able to identify our top few that we really want to work on. Mm -hmm. And then the idea is that we would definitely get to work on something we really want to work on. Right after launch, I went and I like hunted for the manuscript. And I started reading the first few pages. And that's when I knew, you know, oh, gosh, I really want to work on this. Uh And Cosmos was my first pick. And then after I was assigned to it, um, I emailed Jess and she was, you know, really happy about that. Just to say this one more time in case you missed it, See You in the Cosmos is written as transcriptions of the recordings Alex is making on his iPod. Instead of chapters one and two, it's new recording one and new recording two. And so the book ends up being almost like a radio script. 
there's a lot of back and forth between some of the characters in pure dialogue. There are even markers for sound effects that I had imagined happening while Alex was making his recordings. You know, most of the audiobooks that we produce with a single voice and the person sits in the booth and reads it and performs it and then it goes to an editor and it's pieced together and then it goes through quality control and then it's finalized. Here we spent, I spent a lot of time casting it and not only thinking about you know, who would be appropriate. But I also like to think of it, since I held the project so dear, I felt like I wanted to create a cast or build the cast that would kind of all get it and who were good people and, you know, good actors and would enjoy working together because um, they all, for the most part, recorded in the same room at the same time, which we don't really do that very often where we have multiple readers Mm. um, speaking to each other, you know, in the format that your book is written. It turned out that the biggest challenge was actually casting the main character, casting Alex. The greatest challenge was finding a voice for him, um, which was not easy because we really wanted someone who was the age of Alex, you know, a kid, just to be credible. So often, audiobooks with kid characters will be voiced by an adult woman, even if it's a boy character. Some women, they're able to sound um, like young children. But with your book, I mean, where the main character, it's first person and it's Alex and he's carrying the story. I just felt like the way to go was to actually have a kid reading it because I don't know if we could suspend disbelief for that long. At the same time, not many kids Alex's age of 11 or around there are experienced audiobook narrators. It's very difficult work in terms of just being able to read, number one, um, but also to get all the nuance and get all your meaning and convey that in a way. Uh A lot of the agencies that represent kids, and, and I mean, they were so fabulous about getting these kids into audition. And I mean, I must have had, you know, 50 from various uh, agents and listening to all of them. And I mean, my heart just kind of opened up every time I listened to a kid because they really, they all tried so hard, you know, Uh but then just not having that bell go off um, with any of them. I was really worried a little bit because I knew that whoever ended up doing it, they really, they had to carry the story. It wasn't just a minor part, you know, this was the whole book. So I was panicking a little bit. And then my colleague, I was talking to her about it. And my colleague was like, you know, Charles, who's a studio owner that we've worked with for many, many years, Charles's son is an actor. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. He is. And he just read on Wally Lamb's new book. And let me, let me call Charles right now. And Charles was totally game and Kiv. That's short for Kivligan. Kiv auditioned, and I think I played that for you. And there was something there that I just kind of grabbed onto in his audition. And I just, I kind of knew he was the right way to go because we would have way more access to him than we would, um, you know, an actor who we had to book through an agency and we only had for X amount of time. And I just had a feeling that it would work out. So I had a chance to meet Karen when I was in New York this past October. And that's when she first played Kiv's audition for me. 
And I was like, he sounds great. He sounds like Alex. Let's go with Kiv. Now, some of the choices for the supporting cast felt just as right, but there was a little back and forth on this one character named Zed, who, well, without giving too much away, I'll say that a lot of his dialogue isn't dialogue. It's laughter. So Karen had a couple different voice actors record and send over clips of themselves laughing. I'm going to play these two auditions for you right here. Okay, so here's number one. It's Jason Culp, and here's some Zed. <laughs> and here's number two. Hi, this is Robert Fass with a bunch of laughs for Zed. Here we go. is Robert Fass. Hope you had as much fun as I did. Uh, thanks a lot. Bye. Try to try to picture me getting these in an email and listening to them and laughing out loud at my desk as they're laughing. I think that was actually the last casting decision that we had to make. Soon after that, recording for the project started in New York, in Charles's, in Kiv's dad's studio. The studio is, is called CDM. It stands for Charles de Montebello. And it's located in the Film Center building, which is an Art Deco building on 9th Avenue between 44th and 45th. It's on the 8th floor. And it's pretty modern looking and very comfortable. And you walk in, and you're immediately greeted by Tucker, the, the receptionist and the um, like production coordinator there, who does all the scheduling and he does a lot of the um, trafficking of all the programs that record and get edited there. 
And then the studio, they have three studios, one large studio, which is where your book was recorded. And it has an isolated booth with a huge open window. It's almost floor to ceiling where the actors can look into the control room where the the director and the engineer sit. So there's a great line of sight. So I could just imagine, you know, Kiv sitting there and really being able to look at Charles and the director who is fabulous, Paula Parker, and understanding the direction, because that's really important when you're working with actors to have that line of sight. So they're not just hearing you, they're also kind of like connecting with you by looking at you. And then getting through the primary record with Kiv, he did like all of his parts first um, in the studio on weekends with Paula and Charles. And then they flagged parts that they wanted to go back and redo. And the way the whole project kind of shaped up was that he really had like a master class in audiobook narration Mm. and they recorded on weekends and you know around his school schedule and then his dad would kind of mark places to have him redo and bring him back into the studio and Mm -hmm. um, just to they did things over and over and over again and then they went outside and recorded some of the places like in a field in Richmond Virginia so just having that ability to do that, I think really did, you know, bring a lot to the to the audiobook. You know, he got a lot better as the process went on. Kids took direction really well. At the end, I mean, he just got it. Like Paula would just have to say one word and he would just kind of grab onto that and he got what she meant. Um, whereas in the beginning, you know, it was, it was harder for him because he had done one audiobook before, but it was a much smaller part. Uh-huh. Um, and this was, you know, on his shoulders, he was carrying yours. So they kind of just tried to balance out the performance and then bringing in the others to like fill in all the dialogue between them. Brittany Presley, I know her a little bit personally, and she's lovely, and I just knew she would just kind of jump in. And I feel like she and Kiv really have a great rapport um, in in the audiobook. And the same with Michael Crouch, Ronnie, and um, Kiv in that big scene where Ronnie, they're in the car, and it's so heartbreaking. But just emotionally, they go there as actors. I know that. So it was really fun to kind of put that in into place and build the cast and then scheduling them all around their very busy schedules and around kids' schedule. So once all of that, all of the speaking parts were done, then Charles and I sat down and kind of mapped out how to approach uh, bringing in all the sound effects and the sound design. And what Charles tried to do was just create a bass sound for every chapter, depending on uh, where it was, like inside or outside. Uh-huh. Like when Alex is on the roof, you know, you could hear like nighttime sounds, like some of these things just to create, you know, a rich environment for the listener. Um, That's just not, you know, single voice in a studio to really get the sense that Alex is experiencing this world around him and to have all of those senses and sounds kind of try to filter through in the audio book. I mean, I couldn't have asked for like a better person to work on it because he was so committed to the process because it was really, you know, an act of love for his son too, to, you know, help him through this and 
make him shine as well. And, you know, he loved the book too. And it's, I just love that whole part of this story, this connection between Kiv and his dad working on your book and a story about a boy kind of like searching for his father and his, you know, his truth. And so it was just feel good all around. Uh, do you have a sense of how long this process took? Oh, I wish I had my schedule in front of me. I had it all laid out. <laughs> um, Kiv recorded over four weekends in November and December. So just him, he did, he may have done about six sessions on his own, but they were shorter sessions because, you know, stamina issues and he had, he had soccer practice and stuff like that, you know? Um, So they would go like 11 to three or 11 to four with frequent breaks and a lunch break. So they probably ended up recording like three hours a day, maybe doing like one finished hour a day. Okay. And then we tried to schedule like a half day with Tara. And then we had like Ronnie come in in the afternoon with Kiv. So all in all, I would say we probably scheduled about 10, 10 to 12 days to cover every part. Uh-huh. I, I love that you're referring to them by their characters' names. It sounds like the characters <laughs> are actually coming in. <laughs> I think what surprises a lot of people is how long it takes and how labor-intensive recording an audiobook can be. To sit in on a session and to hear you know, to really witness how it goes with all the mistakes and all the breaks to check a pronunciation or, oh, I stumbled over this. Let's go back and, you know, take it again. It's not just like sitting in the booth and reading something through once. Right. Um, and also talking, like even now talking to you for 41 minutes, like I'm, it's tiring, you know, <laughs> so talking for hours on end and sounding the same at the end of the day that you do at the beginning of the day, that's really challenging too. I mean, we work with amazing actors who do this for a living and it is really, really hard work. It takes a lot of stamina and you have to be a really good reader. You have to kind of know what's coming as it's coming out of your mouth because you are, you know, you're the storyteller. You're everything for the listener. So I don't think we can end this episode without playing an excerpt of the audiobook. New recording, 13. Holy bleep! That one went so high! Alrighty, folks. That about wraps it up for our C-Class launches. Let's give our contestants one more round of applause. Okay, guys, this is it. My last recording. I can't believe it's only been a day since I left Rockview on the Amtrak train. Voyager 3 is already set up on the launch hurdles next to all the other rockets, and Carl Sagan and I are standing by the registration tents next to all our new friends. After lunch, even more people showed up, And even before the contest started, some people were launching their rockets just for fun. And there were more dogs and NASA shirts. 
and dogs with NASA shirts. And Calexico was playing guitar and singing songs I didn't know, and... Next up, we have the D-Class. That's D as in Discovery. D as in Danger, which also happens to be my middle name. <laughs> Just trying to lighten things up here, folks. Okay, first up in the D-Class, we have Joel and Noah Turner from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Step on up, guys. Let's give them room, everybody. I know I didn't get to record as much for you guys as I wanted. I was too excited meeting everyone and seeing their rockets and t-shirts and lip rings and purple hair that I forgot to record more. But I guess I did get the sound of trains moving and the sound of cars on the highway and the desert at night and Steve talking on the phone with his girlfriend, who he's in love with probably, and... This is Joel and Noah's second Sharp Festival. Last year they took first place in the Eglon. And now you know what the launches at a rocket festival sound like. Isn't it so exciting? Maybe after my launch, I can get another iPod and build another rocket. I can build Voyager 4. And then next year, I can come back to Sharp and launch that too. And then I'll do Voyager 5 the year after, and... Alrighty, folks. It looks like they're ready to go. Let's count it down for them. Five... Four, three, two, one. And that was from the audiobook for See You in the Cosmos, as read by Kivligan de Montebello. Thanks very much to our audiobook producer, Karen Jakonski. That was Jason Culp and Robert Fass you heard with the laughs. And while I'm at it, thank you to Kiv and Charles de Montebello, to Paula Parker and to the entire cast of See You in the Cosmos for the really stellar job with the audiobook. And I'll admit it right here, I cried in a suburban restaurant parking lot listening to that one scene toward the end. You know the one. Music for this podcast is by St. Benjamin. He's at saintbenjamin.com. See You in the Cosmos is available everywhere in paper and audiobook forms. I suggest you get both. And if anyone ever tells you that the world isn't filled with wonder and joy, just think about this for a second. Someone gets to do this for a living. (laughs) It gets me every time.